honestly, what I'm trying to get at is just listening to your body. And if something doesn't feel right, there's probably something going on. Hey everyone, this is Helene from Coming From The Heart Podcast, an inspirational and motivational podcast about mental health, mindfulness, speaking your truth, and never feeling alone. Hey guys, my Coming From The Heart family, I have a very special guest here. Lauren Less is a food blogger. She's gluten-free and dairy-free. And I believe that because we are in Mental Health Month, and we're also in Celiac Month, that Lauren would be the perfect person to come on and talk a lot about her brand and what she does in Chicago, one of my most favorite places. So, hey, Lauren, what's going on? Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on here. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, I love Chicago, a very cool place to visit. And you're a very cool person because your page what you do with gluten-free and dairy-free, and your creations are beautiful. I often will just message you, wow, how did you come up with that? So congratulations on the community that you have cultivated, and we're going to talk about how and when and how long you've been doing that. And just thank you for sharing space with me on the podcast. So Yeah, welcome. of course. So I guess let's start about your journey. How did all this begin, Lauren? Were you you know, the type of kid that was cooking in the kitchen. I know, of course, that you have different allergies and different things that you've been dealing with. And as far as, you know, food sometimes can be tricky when, like for myself, going out to eat is difficult when you have food allergies or food mm -hmm. sensitivities. So, yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about how and the why Lauren Less, the food blogger, came to fruition. Yeah. So actually I, I did like to cook and bake when I was younger. Like my mom was always making cookies and cooking for us. So I did learn to cook that way and I really enjoyed it, but I didn't actually develop my food allergies until like 25 years old. So I went pretty much my whole life being able to eat whatever I wanted. And then all of a sudden my immune system had and it's kind of tied in with my chronic illnesses, my immune system had some sort of like breakdown or went haywire or something happened. And then I developed all these IgE food allergies. So that's kind of how my Instagram page started is at first, I was like, how am I going to do this? And then I like just made another account to look for recipes. And this was couple years ago or several years ago I guess now and I didn't think I would ever post anything I just was kind of like looking at people's recipes and saving them like I wanted a separate account to save recipes on and then I just decided to start posting things and I just started posting like random meals and that's kind of how it started it, it just kind of took off from there amazing amazing and when I look at your page it's almost as if it's more of a lifestyle that you now have cultivated based mm -hmm. on your sensitivities, illnesses that you've dealt with or deal with, and this community, which loves you. And it seems like you're morphing into just wellness tips or health and wellness. So I guess, again, take us back a little bit. So at 25, what yeah. happened? 
Tell us what happened. Like, did you eat something? Did you feel weird about ingesting a certain nut or or something that was going on that you ate? Yeah, so it kind of all, it's very hard to pull apart because I got diagnosed with like several chronic conditions around then too. So, I mean, I was getting like, my tongue would swell and I was getting like, there was a time I got hives like all over my back and I had like this incident where my throat was closing. I've never had to use an EpiPen, but I've definitely had like mild to moderate anaphylaxis where like maybe I probably should have used an EpiPen and I didn't. So, I mean, those situations are tricky and I've I've been fine luckily, but so yeah, I have several food allergies and sensitivities and chronic issues that all kind of, I think, like came to a head at some point around that age. And then eventually I like went to Mayo Clinic to figure out what was going on. So that's kind of where. Yeah, yeah. No, first of all, I'm so sorry. I mean, honestly, I, I share in your world because my daughter has peanut allergies. She has mm-hmm. had them since she was a baby. I was the mom educating at that time. 25 or 23 or whatever years ago when she was in preschool because at that space as you understand there was not much education about what you know food allergies were or food sensitivities and she has other stuff that she deals with as far as food stuff I myself three years ago all of a sudden couldn't eat gluten and soy and paprika and all these things and it really messes with your with your mind and your head yeah yeah. and I just want to like talk on that space for a moment. I mean, yes, we can reflect back to what happened, but it's tough. Mm -hmm. It's really tough. tough. Yeah, it is. And again, you didn't, look, I'm a lot older than you and dealt with or dealing with what I'm dealing with, with the gluten, soy, and paprika in my 50s. And you at 25, like, you know, I just want to put this out there to everybody. Food allergies are not necessarily from the time you're born. They just happen based Mm -hmm. on other things literally going on in your body. So if you take us back to, okay, when you were 25, you know, one day you were eating X and then the next day you couldn't eat Y and you said you can't exactly pinpoint it. So where were you at that space? You went to the Mayo Clinic. What did, what did they do? I want to give everybody some background here. Well, I'd, I'd gone to see so many doctors at that point. And like, I think I was already diagnosed with food allergies at that point. And then I had like GI issues on top of that. So that's why I ended up going to Mayo because I had removed the food allergies and I still had the GI issues. So I went to Mayo and they were like, we think you might have this connective tissue disorder that's causing some of this stuff. So then I waited a year and finally got in with a geneticist and I was diagnosed with a connective tissue disorder and some other things that typically go along with it. So it's kind of all tied in. It's called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And a lot of people actually with EDS have food allergies and food sensitivities. So it all kind of ties in with each other, honestly. And thank you for sharing, because I know this is not an easy Talk, yeah, that's okay. talk about and stuff. I mean, I know you're, it's your brand and you talk and so forth. So, but I just want to say thank you. So sure. go back to, so you had the food allergies, then you started having digestive, if I'm saying this correctly, like IBS kind of stuff going on. Yeah. And then my daughter's in the world of genetics. So I'm like, okay, so a geneticist, if I'm saying that right, right. Yeah. Identified. Now, what is this called? One more time. Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. 
it's a connective tissue disorder. Basically, it impacts your collagen. It's like I'm hypermobile, basically, but it comes along with a lot of different things because when your collagen is defective, since your collagen is in every single organ system, every system of your body, it can cause issues like essentially everywhere. So that's kind of part of it. Is there a genetic link to your family? Does anybody else have this EDS? There are several different types of EDS. And the type I have is hypermobile EDS. And that's the only type that where they haven't discovered the gene for it yet. So it's kind of a question mark, whether it's a single gene, whether it's multiple genes, whether there's something else going on, but they do notice that it's typically passed down in a genetic pattern. So they say you have a 50% chance of passing it down, but they don't know what the gene is or what the group of genes are or why it happens or if it's like something epigenetic, like we just, they're studying it. So Okay. No, absolutely. My daughter's in the world of genetics. So it would be interesting just to hear her spin on this as well. 25, all of a sudden it just was expressed just because. And that allergies were, I mean, I've had symptoms probably since like age 13 of like some of the other stuff, but it just like ended up getting worse and worse. And then eventually I was like, okay, something's going on. I need to figure out what, so. Interesting. So if we have some friends listening in, of course, to this podcast, what would you suggest they do? You know, yes, you go to a food allergist and they test you for specific food allergies. But looking at your journey, this space of time, if you want to call it, and if you could reflect upon telling someone else possibly having similar symptoms to you, what would you have done differently or not? What I would have done differently like to find out what was going on sooner I guess it's hard because doctors didn't know but if someone's listening to this and they have you know some of these symptoms that doctors are not figuring out like hypermobility like if you have food allergies and sensitivities and you also have hypermobility like that could be a sign of EDS I mean people with EDS present differently there's like something called the Baton criteria that you know they measure the hypermobility of your joints and things like that but If you feel like something's wrong in your body, there probably is something wrong. And I think just for years, like I thought everyone felt tired all the time and everyone felt brain foggy. And I mean, I don't even know how I like made it through college, honestly, but there was a point where I realized like, no, my friends don't feel like this. They don't have to nap as much as me. They don't feel tired all day. They don't, you know, like have all these symptoms. So I think just like, honestly, what I'm trying to get at is just listening to your body. And if something doesn't feel right, there's probably something going on. And I mean, I think what was most helpful for me was finding an integrative doctor that kind of balances, you know, both worlds of medicine and can really dive into like the root causes of things. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Well, thank you, Lauren, for sharing that. What about any holistic? Did you happen to any of that? Yeah. Yeah, I think, and that's what my doctor's great about is he kind of balances Western medicine and more like holistic treatments. That's been great. Amazing. That's my world. Because I I think that you can't really negate either from my own personal space and my own personal journeys. Yeah, because I think there's the good and the bad in in both situations. Just basically everyone is an individual. So what's going to work for one 
one person isn't going to work for someone else. Do you want to share some of any of the holistic stuff that you were suggested to do that has helped you? Yeah, I do infrared saunas. I do IV therapy. I've done cold plunges. I think just like even some of the really simple things are like really helpful, like just like going outside in the morning and getting sun in the morning just to like help with their circadian rhythm, putting electrolytes in my water, filtering my water, like making swaps to like all non-toxic products in my kitchen and also my skincare, just everything. I've like looked into blood sugar regulation and how blood sugar is impacting my symptoms, lymphatic drainage, acupuncture, cupping, craniosacral therapy. I've honestly probably done everything at this point. And like, there's been a lot of things that have been really helpful. I track my heart rate variability with the aura ring too, which has been helpful to kind of see, like, it kind of tells you how well your body's able to shift from like parasympathetic to sympathetic and back. So if your nervous system is dysregulated, like I have POTS, which is autonomic nervous system dysregulation, essentially. So it's kind of telling me if I'm improving my nervous system, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of things. I'm just, li- I'm just, you're fascinating. Yeah. You're incredible. You are, you're rocking it. It's a lot and you're young and yeah. yeah. I mean, may I ask how old you are? I'm 31. Yeah, you're, you're, you're young and dealt with this exceptionally well. And I, you know, like I always like to give people good advice. I am clearly not a professional in lots of stuff, but I feel like when I have a person come on like yourself, just to tell someone maybe that they're going through something, we all shouldn't have to just suffer in silence Mm -hmm. with whatever it is. There are ways to help yourself. And I, you know, and I love where you gave the example in college where you were exhausted and you thought everybody else was exhausted too. And still it's amazing. You did what you did in that time. Yeah. 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 I don't know. We are resilient. Yeah. Absolutely Mm -hmm. resilient. So with all that, how are you feeling now from all the stuff we talked about the holistic, I definitely want to get into the food aspect of your life and what you put forth to share with others. How has your food changing ways helped you in your personal space with everything that you've dealt with with all these different issues or illnesses and sensitivities and allergies let's talk about that yeah I mean I think it's definitely made a huge difference in a lot of ways there's I mean obviously removing the food allergies and then I also took out foods that I thought I had potential sensitivities to which I know I'm not planning to take those out forever. And I think that's important too, is like, I think doctors will give a lot of strict diets and I've been on several and I'm still on one, but my ultimate goal and what I think everyone's goal should be is to be able to eat all foods that you're not IgE allergic to, unless you have like a very severe sensitivity, which gluten can be, and like it can cause neurological issues. And I never want to like downplay a sensitivity because I know how horrible they can be, but I think we can get our bodies to a place where, and at least this is how I feel about myself, is I feel like I can get my body to a place where I can consume all foods, Mm -hmm. whatever IgE allergies I have left over, because right now my egg numbers went to zero. So I'm going to do an egg trial food challenge 
in July. Wow. So that's kind of exciting. Wow. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. I want to stop you here for a minute because I'm processing. I'm thinking here, Lauren. How do you balance mental health with this? How do you not become? <laughs> I'm, I'm putting myself into this conversation very much. How do you not just lose your shit on a daily basis that you got to deal with all this stuff and you just yeah. want to just do what you want, eat with whatever you want. And I love the fact that you say doctors sometimes, not all different situations may put you on something that is excessively restrictive. We all got to live our life. One day you're going to die and you want to be like, God, I wish I could have had tomatoes because so I can't eat tomatoes now. So I'm just throwing that in there. Yeah, I can't um, either. <laughs> like you want to, you know, have some normalcy here. So how do you, Lauren, do this? How do you balance this, this part of your life with normalcy, whatever that might mean, and, and yeah. mental health? Yeah, well, I'm also a therapist. So that kind of helps because I definitely have the background and the tools and the knowledge. That doesn't mean I always apply them when I should, but I definitely know them. So I think that helps. I think what's helped me through like the recent stages of this restrictive diet is kind of what I said before. I really think that I'll be able to eat whatever I want to aside from IgE allergies in the future. And so I know that what I'm doing now is to get my body into a better place. And I know that it's also working because I've seen signs through testing that my immune system is getting better and my GI issues are like 80% resolved. I've just seen a lot of improvements. So to me, it's worth it. And I'm slowly adding foods back. The hardest part is the beginning where you're like handed a list and your doctor's like, oh, just take all this out. And at first I was like, I'm not doing this. Like, there's no way. And then I tried some other things and then those didn't work. And I finally was like, you know what, I'm just going to try this and see what happens. And I did and it helped me. So I was like, this makes sense. And then I started learning more about it. And I'm on a low histamine diet. So it's pretty restrictive, but I found my staple foods and I feel a lot better on it. So I stuck with it. Sure. No, I understand that. For it's been, I think it's been over a year now, which is a long time for something like that. But I've added some foods back in. Okay, yeah, cool. Okay, so low histamine diet, what does that even mean? So basically, so I have another, so along with EDS comes POTS and something called mast cell activation syndrome, which we have these things called mast cells and they release mediators. And so one of those mediators is histamine, like, like an antihistamine, you know, like Zyrtec or something like that. So basically, so I like, so I take Zyrtec, but, but food has histamine in it as well. The way a lot of doctors explain it is kind of like a bucket theory. If you have too much histamine in your body and for some reason, whether it's a genetic reason or something going on in your gut or whatever it is, there can be several different root causes of there's histamine intolerance. And then there's mass oxidation syndrome, which involves more mediators than just histamine. But Basically, by eating low histamine, you're kind of lowering that bucket so that you have fewer reactions. So the scary thing about mast cell activation syndrome is sometimes if people's buckets of histamine are too full, they can have an allergic reaction to a food, like an anaphylactic reaction to a food that they're not IgE allergic to, simply because they have too much histamine in their body. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. 
No, it's <laughs> all I know is you're smart because I want to keep up, and I and I know I know a lot about a lot or a lot about a little. But I'm just, I'm just, you got me on my toes here, Lauren. Okay, as an aside, it appears that you absolutely have self-educated yourself on a lot of stuff. I had to. That's the only way you can get better. It really is. I mean, this is all, it sounds so complicated and it is very complicated. So complicated that most of the doctor's offices I walk into, they have no clue what I'm talking about. It's just like, I found the right doctors. And then I know like when I go to, you know, a random doctor for something, I don't even like expand on this stuff because they don't know anything about amazing. it. No, amazing that they don't know because they can't know everything, but clearly my point is to self-educate or self-advocate. And we have to. And in my, you know, in my yeah. beginning podcasts, um, I had a couple different people hop on who had food sensitivities and allergies and a whole you know bunch of stuff. And we always circled back to knowing your body and knowing your body. You know how you feel with whatever's going on. Right. And no one should ever tell you differently. That's, that's it. And- Knowing and having an education, as I know a lot about my own stuff and my daughter knew a lot of her stuff, is because you have to know it. And again, if anyone's listening in, or hopefully you are listening in, that there's a lot of medical terminology that she's talking about. But you know, having these types of symptoms and stuff, you can learn exactly what that is. I don't want anyone to be like, oh my God, that's so overwhelming. I don't know. Because it becomes part of you. Which it's part of your narrative. Mm-hmm. But back to food and how you were able to create these wonderful, delicious desserts and food items based on so many different sensitivities you had. How, do you, how did you go about doing that? Trial and error? At first, so I, there were all these recipes that I used to love to make that were like filled with gluten and dairy and all of that. So I was like, how do I make these without the gluten and dairy? So I started trying to find substitutes and using recipes that I used to make and trying to figure out how to make them gluten-free and dairy-free and egg-free and other things free. So that's kind of where it started. Yeah, it's hard to, it, and it's hard to make it taste good. I mean, Kayla and mm-hmm. I talked about a lot of stuff. Kayla Capilio, uh, guys out there, of mm-hmm. course, it's another food blogger who has a gluten-free platform and so forth. Stuff she's dealt with. Um, it's hard to find the right products. King Arthur can't be everything. You know what I mean? And sometimes, especially when you have, let's say, egg or soy or this or that, and to taste good, mm-hmm. that's challenging, right. yes? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it definitely takes some trial and error. So give us your go-to comfort dinner like what would you make what do you make you put so much um, stuff out there that looks delicious right now I usually just make pesto pasta that's like my go-to right okay. now okay so pasta obviously gluten-free pasta mm-hmm. you know someone like me I can't even eat gluten-free pasta I don't feel good when I eat it which is kind of mm-hmm. crappy yeah mm-hmm. I don't know why but I can't even eat that I like all the different kinds of it I probably should give it another go because my daughter loves pasta and she's always like you won't share in the enjoyment of pasta I'm like "Eh, I don't know what it is I mean I've tried Jovi I think it's Jovi brand or Jolie or some Jovi something yeah (laughs) what that is and and when you're making your sauces and stuff like that that's challenging too obviously with like is there a trial period where you go okay going into the kitchen give us uh 
a day in of Lauren cooking in the kitchen. Let's hear how this works. Yeah, with like the pastel. I mean, I kind of just like mixed things together to figure out a recipe that I really liked. And honestly, like a lot of the times when I'm cooking, I don't necessarily measure. I just kind of throw things in. So sometimes my pesto turns out like different on different days, which is fine. But then like when I have to write it out for like a recipe or a blog, I have to be like, okay, I need to measure this one. But yeah, sometimes I just kind of like throw things in and just like taste it and see as I go. I understand. So let's talk menu. Let's talk what you eat every day. And let's talk when you got to go places and you can't be making the food and you got to go to a restaurant. All I know for me, it's horrible. I hate the experiences specifically. That's why I always go to the same places to eat. Yeah. I mean, right now, like my diet's definitely more restrictive than it was in the past or it will be in the future. But I mean, I have like a smoothie and sausages for breakfast every morning. For lunch, it can be like a variety of things from like a salad with chicken to I feel like I eat so much pesto because I can't have tomato but I just like put pesto on everything now or like different kinds of like nourish bowls with like lots of veggies or sweet potato fries or chicken burgers we can come cook for me that sounds good okay (laughs) very good let's talk about going out I know you're in a more restricted situation now that's tough is there a certain restaurant you go to or again, for people listening in and that's my insanity of my struggle to hand something to the waiter. Like, how do you go doing that? Yeah. Well, I have a food allergy card that has all my allergies on it. So that's been really helpful because I feel like it makes the restaurant take it more seriously. And then I'm not sitting there being like, are you writing everything down? Like, am I sure that you got all the allergies down? I just hand them the card and I'm like, here's my allergies, give this to the chef. And then it's a lot easier to make sure I'm communicating it to the waiter or to the chef. No, no, that's no, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also depends on the type of restaurant. Mm-hmm. Are they going to really read it? And you know, I got to bring up mental health. Mm-hmm. It, it's very exhausting. Yeah. You know, to deal with it. you have to have people around you who support mm-hmm. that. Not someone who's going to go out with you and be like, wait, you can't eat that? Or, I mean, I'm sure people, you know, you have your friends. I clearly know what's going on with you. I mean, I just want to talk on this for a moment. It just came to my mind. There's definitely a society norms of almost like, even though we all know there's more allergies out there and people are more vocal about it, that you kind of feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. I think I used to feel uncomfortable. And now I just don't care anymore (laughs) like I just I don't care really like what other people think and I don't know if this is like partially because of COVID and I was in my own little bubble for so long that I like forgot that other people existed or like things existed out because I didn't eat out for a really long time either so then I had to like go back and start eating out at restaurants again which was stressful that was stressful for me to start doing again for sure But now I go to the restaurants that I know are going to accommodate me. And that's pretty much it for now. No, I understand that. I love your suggestion. I mean, I really probably should be more up on that too, of having a specific card Mm -hmm. 
made up. I actually had something called a LEAP test done. Are you familiar with LEAP, L-E-A-P? No. It's a sensitivity test. Yeah. What it does, it shows sensitivities to certain things. That's how I found out I was gluten. So with that, I have a card, but I don't know. I'm paranoid still. I'm like, oh my God, do you really think that they saw that on there? I mean, it's just one of those things. And like I say, circle back to mental health, that if you don't have food allergies and you don't have food sensitivities, you don't have to deal with this stuff. Right. I loved your suggestion, of course, of having the card, but also for the people that you surround yourself with yeah. to have a community, which you do, who wants to hear what you have to say. Were you surprised by the amount of people that have, allergies and all this stuff going on besides you it's interesting because like before it happens to you I didn't really know that much about allergies before and that kind of just goes to show like there's just a huge lack of understanding around it people don't understand unless you explain it to them no, exactly. And also, like, I just want to bring up, like, you know, practitioners, it's like any type of practitioners. There's the practitioners who are just going to completely get it and understand. And those are the ones that you hopefully want to find to support you. Yeah. Because there's often doctors that don't. And it's like, I say, it's like anything else, like finding a therapist or finding a physician, you got to shop around. Right. I mean, would you give anybody some advice on that for the doctors and people that you found? Yeah, I mean, I think it just depends on what you're dealing with. But like I said, I really like, I think finding an integrative doctor can be helpful. You know, sometimes like Facebook groups can be helpful for finding doctors. If you have like a specific condition, joining like the Facebook group in your area for that and seeing what experiences people have had and which doctors they like. Then, you know, like going in like, okay, this doctor already knows about my condition. So that I think that's been one of the most helpful things. No, no, absolutely. Have you traveled abroad? And, uh, and then obviously having to deal with your allergies. Have you been anywhere that you needed to like educate whoever you were talking to in another country? I have not been abroad since I was diagnosed with allergies. So no. Okay. But that's yeah, I'm wondering about. <laughs> that could be a separate segment, Lauren, yeah. because that in itself, I was just talking to someone the other day. I got to give a shout out to the Annie M. Bakery and Kayla Capilio for our Mental Health Matters. And I was tabling and standing there and talking mental health and food allergies. And he was this man was telling me about he was in Europe and his wife could eat absolutely nothing. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I want to go to Europe. I hope I can eat something because you just don't know 100% with labeling. That's a whole other discussion to this food labeling when my daughter was diagnosed with her peanut allergy 20 plus years ago there was never labels on food mm -hmm. like that didn't even exist mm -hmm. so in europe or different countries you may not have that breakdown of ingredients so that's that's tough yeah i want your spin on it i mean i believe that we've got a long way to go with this i mean i think we're doing well with it i think there's more people talking about what we're discussing here today with food allergies and sensitivities and illness, but what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think there is still a huge lack of awareness around it and just, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. What do you think needs to be changed? What do you think needs to be changed in regards to that? Like if you had your crystal ball and you could say, okay, what would be a prediction? I mean, I think in terms of like restaurants, I think every restaurant should have their ingredients listed on the menu. I mean, I understand some of them are like trade secrets or sauces or whatever, but they should at least have like a binder where you can see what ingredients are in everything. That's the one thing that just blew my mind so much is like, I would ask waiters, 
what is this cooked in? What's in this? And they're like, I don't know. And like, sometimes you get to the chef and you still can't get an answer. They don't know what's in their spice blend or they don't know what kind of oil they use. And I'm like, you're making the food. (laughs) How do you not know what you're putting in it? So that to me is so crazy. Like there's just like, how do you not know what you're putting in the food that you're giving us? And that's a whole nother rabbit hole of like really realizing how much they're putting in our food that's not good for us. Yeah. I mean, even just hearing how like once sesame was made, you know, one of the top allergens that some brands are now adding sesame in small quantities into their food to avoid having to label that to commit to it being sesame free. That's just like horrible. Wow. I did not know that. Okay. That's scary. Yeah. That's like a thing apparently. So check your labels. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Cause my daughter has some stuff with sesame and stuff like that. And that's also why when someone may eat something and it, and it doesn't have any of those ingredients and you're like, well, why am I not feeling well based mm-hmm. on what you just said? Cause they just threw it in there and you don't really know what's hundred percent in it. And I love what you were just saying about restaurants. I was like, yay. If anyone could see my face here, I was screaming yay in my head. Yeah. How do you not know what you're cooking with back there, Mr. Chef? Or educate your waiter. I mean, and look, it depends upon the type of restaurant you're going to, whether they want to take that extra step. But often sometimes it's a more expensive restaurant and not everybody can afford to go out to that type of a restaurant. There's a local place I get a salad. I'll shout out to Alfalfa here in Hoboken, New Jersey. And I was talking to the co-founder about a week or so ago. And I'm like, I love your food. It's all farm to table and vegetables and chicken and all that stuff. I eat the same salad, Lauren, pretty much almost every day. And why? Because I know I can eat it and I know what's in it. And they have the binder and they whip it out and they go, okay, this is what's in it. This is what you can eat. So yes, we could be advocating for that to happen, whether it's going to happen soon or not, who the heck knows. But I think that if enough of us are out there saying, I'd like to go to a nice restaurant too, I would like to know what's in this food. And clearly you guys need to know what you're making. So I'm just going to stop bantering on that and stop screaming. But I agree with everything that you said. I also want to just talk one moment before we wrap in this up, this lovely conversation about the type of therapy you went to. Did you go to school for this specific? Yeah, um, I got a master's in social work. Okay. So what do you do exactly? You see patients and just a general. Yeah, I've been, I work at a private practice now. I'm working there part-time. So I work two days a week doing like teletherapy. Yeah, I mean, and that's what you graduated with. Was that your degree? For my master's program, social work. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's interesting that that's the type of space of occupation you went into. And you mentioned earlier how that has supported you in your own personal with your own mental health. Yeah, for sure. You know, knowing just different maybe modalities or things. I mean, you mentioned a lot of holistic stuff, but Mm -hmm. on a regular basis, meditation and anything like that. Yeah, I think like meditation can be really great and powerful. And there's a lot of research behind it. Breath work. I mean, I think with all of this, like mindset is so important. And that's kind of what I've been working on a lot in the last probably like several months. And that's what I think has helped move the needle a lot with my health recently is like just the mindset work. When it comes to like chronic illness, you have to believe you're going to get better or it's just not going to happen. Like you have to be a hundred percent sure that you're going to get better. No, I mean, 
Mind and body, Lauren, mind and body. One last thing I just thought of, because did you mention that you, you were on a podcast about Lyme's disease? Did you want to just comment on that for a minute? Did you, yeah. did you experience Lyme or something? Yeah, so I've also been diagnosed with Lyme. That is kind of on top of all this other stuff, but also can be a root cause. So that's, yeah, something else that I've been going through. But there's like some controversy around whether or not Lyme can be fully eradicated or just put into remission or things like that. You know, lots of doctors have different opinions. I think I'm going to get 100% better because I'm not going to settle for getting 80 or 90% better. So that's like how I view it. But I think there's a lot of opinions around it. I agree with you. Mind and body. I've had so many different voices come onto this podcast, people that have healed themselves from the most insane of situations and diagnosis and your brain and your body are in sync. Mm -hmm. And that's why I was tapping into the holistic world because that's the world that I lived in or live in on a daily basis that you can make yourself feel better by what you eat, mm -hmm. by what you do, by who you surround yourself with. And I say the silver lining of the pandemic has taught us that in many ways. Yes. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes. So you were incredible to talk to. Let's end this incredible conversation with what I mentioned as a heart to heart. Of course, coming from my heart to your heart, Lauren. A heart to heart is this segment where I ask you something specific that has touched you in your life, enamored you in a way. It could be on a professional level, a personal level. Anything that you would want to share with uh, coming from the heart community out there? Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, like this page that I've created has been so cool. Like I kind of lost touch with like my creative side, I would say for a while. And I found my way back to it somehow. And that's been really cool. And I've just made so many connections through having this page. and starting my blog and met so many cool, interesting people that I never would have met otherwise. And I think it's just really cool. I don't know. It's, it's weird to think about like, if these things had never happened to me, like I wouldn't be who I am. I get it. I was just having a conversation before I spoke to you this evening with some friends I just newly met and yeah, the universe takes you my friend, to where you belong. Sometimes the journey to where you've arrived has been pretty crappy, but I think once you arrive, you clearly understand why you're there. So mm -hmm. why you're there, Lauren, is to help so many people out there that can connect to you that are going through a beginning stages of what you've dealt with. And as you go through your process of getting 100% better, as you say, I think that we still need you to be connecting because people need you, Lauren. They need your recipes, they need your optimism, and they need to take a look at your beautiful food that you keep putting out there. So thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's just been so fun to talk to you. I hope you come back at another space and time and catch up with us and tell us what else you've been up to. And uh, thank you. It's been a lovely conversation. So everybody yeah. out there, check out Lauren. Lauren, tell us or tell our community where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me at lesswithlore on Instagram or TikTok or lesswithlore.com is my food blog. 
Amazing. And who's doing all that social media? Is that you? Yep. <laughs> oh my God. So you are work. talented. I'm trying to find an assistant. So <laughs> yes, me too. Thanks everybody for listening to this conversation with Lauren. And this is Helene, Story Chaser by Heart, XL. Please check out my episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and weekly Instagram lives where I am honored with talented, exceptional guests. Can't wait to see you all there.